Welcome to Oceanside Chat, light beyond generations. This podcast was created to inspire, motivate, and provide insight through industry professionals sharing personal stories, career aspirations, and practical advice. Kimber Brookstein runs Women in Tech programs at Intuit and has been leading programs about male allyship, implicit bias, women leadership, and other related workplace training sessions. Helen Wong, our podcast host, reflects upon her years of experience working in the tech industry. Tyler Mincy, a previous guest of the podcast, brings in a male perspective. Finally, Anushka Joshi, a Rady student, moderates this discussion to tie in the three viewpoints. Time to get your feet wet in the business world and join us down by the water as we have an Oceanside Chat. Season 1, Episode 6, Male Allyship. Hi guys, I'm Anushka. I am the VP of Corporate Relations for Women of Rady, and I am so excited to introduce you guys Helen Wang, Kimber Scott, and Tyler Mincy. We have very diverse experiences here, so I just want to have you guys ex- introduce yourselves a little bit. Well, my name is Helen Wang, and I wear multiple hats right now. First of all, that I'm a professor at Rady. I teach emotional intelligence at the graduate level and the innovation to market for undergraduate. And my classroom was actually right next door. And uh, before this, expertise area is in supply chain. So I worked at uh, both Apple and Google for most of my career. And then I'm also the chair for the Institute for Supply Chain Excellence and Innovation at uh, Rady. So ISEI, we've been doing a lot of activities, seminars, industry collaboration lately. So more than welcome to check us out as well. Very happy to be here. And I think my story itself speaks for it, you know, woman at tech. Thank you. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Kimber Brickstein. I am a staff program manager for Tech Women at Intuit. And what that is, is that is an internal initiative that's focused on attracting, retaining, and advancing women in technical roles. So essentially, I'm in service to our women in tech. And so I create strategic programs, resources, and tools to retain and advance them through their careers and their progression. In addition, I'm just super involved in the community here in San Diego, supporting all underrepresented groups in technology. So I actually sit on the board of directors as vice chair for Latina Geeks. And I'm also on the technology special interest group committee for Athena San Diego. So if you know Athena, they're one of the oldest longest standing organizations for women in STEM here. In addition, my take on all this will be a little different because I do not have a technical background. Um, My background is marketing and sales. And so how that's translated through my career journey, it's very, very diverse. But really the last five and a half years, I've been diving deep into the tech industry and the tech world. And so I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to share what I know of allyship and kind of represent some of that corporate side of different programs, strategies, and how everyone can kind of learn from what I've experienced at Intuit as well. So thank you for having me.
Thanks, everybody. My name is Tyler. I'm a partner at an early stage VC fund called Bolt. We specialize in backing founders at the very beginning of their entrepreneurial journey. They're typically building products at what we describe as being the intersection of the physical and digital worlds. And that takes on a lot of different manifestations we can, we can get into. Previously to, to being an investor, my, my career has been a number of different product design and engineering kind of management roles in my career. I was fortunate to work with Helen back at Apple and we worked on the first generation iPhone together. I've done a lot of kind of like notable high volume products there that, that you may have heard of. And I can basically bring that same approach to early stage uh, company building and product development with all the portfolio companies I work with now as well. And I'm, you know, very passionate about DEI as well. And, you know, I think my personal impact is really via starting new businesses um, and kind of like working in that context and starting new organizations that have different cultures, I think, from, from the ground up and uh, really kind of excited to go to work every day on that. Thank you, guys. That was... I'm so excited to have you guys have more conversations on this. And I, I mean, the essence of male allyship is just that being able to know that there is a gender gap present in this tech industry and to have not just women do something about it, to have like everyone participate. So on that note, I just want to ask each of you, what does male allyship mean to you? Let's start with you, Kimbra, since you have the specialized experience. Ah, no pressure. No. <laughs> So for me, allyship in general, it's about active allyship. So it can be aligning with a group that you're not a part of, but it's engaging and taking action on their behalf. And so that can be any type of group, right? Um, specifically in the tech industry, when we see the numbers and the underrepresentation, under you see more need for that active allyship. And that can take forms in many, many different ways. It can be mentorship, sponsorship just speaking up during meetings. There's a lot of different ways to engage. And then there's a lot of different corporate programs that you can put into effect and trainings that can help support and drive that. And I'm happy to talk more about that a little later or now, but there's definitely a lot of different trainings that can help drive allyship. You know, I think allyship is definitely a, a like multifaceted concept for me. I think there's a lot I can do at a personal level and also kind of support systemically, like with the startup ecosystem and our fund in particular too. So but I think there's, there's a lot of ways that like shows up in our, in our day-to-day -day lives. And like the very tangible thing we do as an early stage VC fund is, is back founders. And so like one of the one of the most impactful things we can do is like look for underrepresented founders, like be really like attentive to the insights that they're building companies around. And, and oftentimes they're keying into business opportunities and market needs that maybe haven't gotten attention that they've deserved in the past. And it's, I think, you know, good for the mission they're on and it's good for business to, to back those founders. So I think that's a, that's a, a big thing we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I think for me, allyship is, is almost everything that I feel like uh, most of the people within my professional network. And, uh, you know, Tyler is a great example. As a matter of fact, we're both here. And then I was thinking about, you know, can I give an example of allyship? And I'm thinking about Tyler and many friends like Tyler. What does that mean is we, you know, used to work together. That's how we got to know each other. And uh, we're working a very cross-functional team, right? So we were never probably on the same sides, you know, of the function. But like I'm supply chain operation, and he's engineering product development. But we're passionate, there's some commonality between us as well, because we want to deliver product, we're striving for excellence, we're passionate about technology, we're passionate about a lot of other things that you know make us a better version of ourselves. So when I'm thinking about allyship, I think there's two major components. 
One is there's definitely a diversity piece of it because he is not me. Me, I am. I cannot become tired. <laughs> Even a lot of you know training per se. You know where kind of our expertise areas are and all that. But there's also a big piece of inclusion, meaning like there's a huge commonality between us. There's something we're commonly interested. There's something we're willing to commonly uh, invest our time and energy. And therefore, that our paths cross once in a while. And so I know that you know when I need a guest speaker for my class, and I can reach out to Tiger because I know he's passionate about giving back, you know, talking to the next generation leaders. But he also has such a valuable experience bringing to my class that benefits this. So we don't talk every day. We don't even meet casually for dinner or something. Living in San Francisco, I live in Sacramento, so like far away. But those are the opportunities bring us together, and which I think is a perfect example of allyship. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you all. Those are very different perspectives on the same phrase. Um, so that's very interesting to see already you guys have such a diverse background. But so I want to dig a little bit deeper. So I want to direct this one to you, Tyler. We are talking about male allyship. You are the only male in this, <laughs> in this panel. So I want to ask this question. Do you think there's a sense of vulnerability among males that of like what does it mean if I acknowledge that I have give, been given things that are maybe undeserved do you sense that vulnerability within yourself like how do you personally tackle that oh yeah definitely I think like that's that's very challenging for people to I think like admit that like there's large components of things they're proud of that were that were maybe like coming from a privileged position for them and so I think that's that's a very hard thing to acknowledge or even like perceive sometimes unless like you're like getting help from other people and then being like very introspective around around like your perspective and even even like what your memory is and what you perceive too. I think that's really, really challenging. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so I guess around situational awareness is kind of what you're going at. So yeah, like what you perceive is lens through your biases. Though Sometimes you literally don't even perceive the thing and you need help to even understand that. So I think. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah, I feel that myself. I see that definitely across like other men that I work with yeah. too. Like that's a big problem. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess to address that, I know Kimbra, you organize a lot of programs within your company um, to address basically like how to train people to be good allies. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I think Helen touched on it when she mentioned kind of the sense of belonging and inclusiveness. And I think no matter what, if you're an underrepresented group, in tech, that's, we're speaking about tech, right? Then you need to have, feel that sense of belonging. You need to have that comfort level to be able to voice your concerns or participate. And with that, at least from a corporate standpoint, is that has to be really role modeled from the top down and it has to be declared a business priority. And so once you have that as like a priority to work towards, then it's easier to kind of create the trainings and kind of work towards your goals. So my initiative is very strategic and specific to our tech women. It's unique in the sense of like, we're not an HR group. We're not an employee resource group. We are a fully funded initiative that was started and funded by our CTO six years ago. Right there, the company is saying this is important and we're putting funds and resources towards that. And so from there, we had the ability to create training. So one of the programs that we lead is Tech Woman Ally Badge. And so internally, we have a badging, like gamification of completing trainings. And, you know, it's, it's to show on your internal site. But 
The badging is a degreed e-learning that takes you through what allyship means, why it's important, and basically kind of takes you through some of the unconscious biases and ways to kind of become an active ally. And so those trainings have to do with, you know, being an active listener, being a meeting hero, meaning like if, if you're in conversation and you realize someone hasn't spoken, asking, do you have anything else to contribute or is there anything I'm missing? And fully calling out that person to make sure their voice is included. And that's a huge part of allyship in addition to, you know, some of the things I mentioned like mentorship and sponsorship, simple things like rotating the housework, right? Like if you're working in a group, a student group, a presentation, or if you're working in your company on a team, making sure that the roles are rotating for who's taking notes, who's ordering lunch, who's organizing. It's little things like that, that is active allyship to make sure that everyone has that same equitable space. And when you focus on that and put training towards that and give people the tools, then it becomes a more inclusive space for everyone. And that is allyship in action. Some people, you know, think that allyship means something very specific and big and grand, but it's really just engaging. And it's the little things that actually have the most impact in a lot of cases. So, and a lot of the trainings, at least at Intuit, have to do with leading inclusively, inclusive conversations. It's all about inclusion and making sure all voices are heard in order to support allyship and and all all levels, not just gender. Yeah, that makes sense. That's all very important for everyone. And sorry, go ahead. Like all those things you mentioned too, like they, they seem like they seem like they should be obvious once you say it, but it's not at all. Like people really need to understand like the active things they can do. I think so much of the thought around how to be more inclusive or all these things like you shouldn't do or shouldn't say there, there are all these like negative things to, to avoid. And I think helping people like understand how to take like active steps and be proactive and, and being inclusive is like, the, it should be obvious, but those are like the really practical things that people can feel good about yeah. putting into, into action. Yeah. I mean, just like while you're there, Tyler, can you give us any prominent examples where you have helped promote like women in your yeah. workplace and in the tech industry? Absolutely. The small things like having people speak in a group is like one of the, the, the biggest things is making sure everyone's like voices are, are heard and expressed. Like just being quiet and listening is like a huge thing too. So I think that's like, a, I think teaching people to be good listeners, I think is really important in, in like context and, and focus and things like that. In our last fun cycle, there's about a, a third of our, of our portfolio companies that are women founded too, which is still like not really, it's like feels weird to pat ourselves on the back to have a third, a third of the companies women founded, but like that's still like three or four X the industry average for, for VC funds right now. So that's, we're really proud of like where we're at today with representation and, and founding teams. But like, again, there's a long way to go. Yeah, that's incredible. Congrats on those figures. So coming to the other side, Helen, with your tenure in the tech industry, being a woman in tech, speaking from your personal experiences, do you have any tips or strategies for males to be better allies? Yeah, I was thinking about tips for women. Throughout the years that I observed, I think uh, the confidence piece of it. I think a lot of women feel shy to reach out, especially if, you know, the person that you need support is from more of higher ranking and you got to intimidate it. Or I also, uh, because I'm in the tech industry, you know, a lot of people, actually in general speaking, whether you're a woman or a man, if you don't have a technical background, if you don't have an engineering degree, you feel very intimidated. You feel like, you know, you don't know how to proceed here because I may not understand what you're talking about. 
And throughout a year, I don't have engineering background either, you know, but I work very, very closely with uh, the engineering team. And I would say maybe 95% or more that people I work with, you know, today is all about the technical engineering background. But I don't get intimidated because I feel like everybody can bring a value to the table. And the reason that you're in the room, the reason that you have your function that enable whatever the engineering wanted to do, that's the value added that, you know, we bring up to the table. And, but don't be shy to offer those things. Because if you don't speak up, nobody knows what you, why you are there. Nobody probably even noticed that you were there. So you have to be confident enough you know, to try. It's okay if it doesn't work. But keep trying that, and then you'll find your own way. That how do you break through that? So I think that's more of what I observe for on the woman's side. On the male side, what I see that it works very well is I feel like most of my male ally works very well, and I'm trying to thinking about you know what's the secret behind this. And uh, well, so I think here's maybe one thing we could be thinking about. I think just generally speaking, which should work for male very well is the reason that people are busy, right? In terms of their 24 hours a day, you know, how do they arrange their time? So when you reach out to build a relationship. Or when you reach out to make a friend, or when you're trying to maintain that friendship or relationship moving forward, always thinking about the win-win situation. It's not all about me. It's not about him or her, but it's more about what's in there for me, what's in there for them. So if you're able to articulate that, you know, within your own mind, and then you're able to give a try when you, you know, trying to establish that relationship. Once that happens, I think you become a positive cycle, because that's what I mean is. You could show your value. You could bring your value. You could actually uh, make this a more productive relationship, and everybody can benefit from it. And that's where the allyship really become a real thing. So I think my advice for for everyone, both male and female. I'd like to add something onto that. So I think the easiest thing to do for a male is to speak up when you see something like the act of allyship. And I, we keep using this term. That was part of our preparation for some of the questions here. If you see something wrong, say something. If someone's speaking over something, like cut in and say, oh, she wasn't done like talking yet. Those little things and those little interjections are what's really going to make the inclusiveness and everything like come full circle and in terms of just the day-to-day. And and I come across this a lot when we talk about team dynamics, right? And you have different functional groups coming together, let's say, for Intuit and TurboTax here in San Diego, right? Like there's all these different functions coming together to, in the outcome, produce something for our customers. And that's our end goal and our end success. And to do that, you have to be able to work together in a team. You're going to have to be able to drive to goals, outcomes, and deliver on time. And everyone needs to feel like they're part of that process and everyone needs to feel valued throughout that process. And so these little things that might seem very small actually have a really high impact. And so for me, it's the, if you see something wrong, say something. And one of the biggest things, at least that I see on the tech side is, is even with promotion process and, and making sure everything's equitable through like every stage of someone's career is women a lot of times get evaluated based on emotion or, oh, she was too bossy during this or whatever it is. And a male will have that same impact be, oh, he was like aggressive and got to the outcome. And it's the exact same thing, but it's being looked at differently. 
And so some of my favorite conversations of actually architects that I've put on male allyship panels for other external things is they will 100% sit here and be like, if I see that, I call it out. And if we're in the middle of a promo review and I see something, I will say, would you say that if she was a man? Like in front of the whole group. And it, one, really puts <laughs> the pressure on the people to, to like take a step back and realize how am I evaluating someone? How am I going through this process? And two, it calls it out and says that's not okay. And so like those little things, those actions I'm going to hone in on the actions because that's what is most impactful for me. But yeah, so for me, that is the most important and one of the easy things that any ally can do, right? It doesn't have to just be men, men and women. If you see someone being called out for reasons that are not pertaining to the actual work or what you're working towards and your deliverable, call it out, say something, and just be bold in that way. Yeah. I agree. That's really well said. Yeah, I mean, I went through some active bystander trainings and that really speaks. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to be that person. Like sometimes you might feel like, oh, I don't want to be judged for saying something. But if you're truly an ally and want to engage, then you just do it. Yeah. So I guess in this case, it's even more powerful when a man speaks out and not on the behalf of a woman because he's not only noticing that, but also like saying something about it. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about that, Tyler? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I mean, I guess let's Definitely. have a male perspective on it. Well, so there's the other dark side to that is when people are acting like the Kool-Aid man when they're like busting through, like not all men, kind of like whatever crusader and that action that can be like pretty rough. I think it's really important to appreciate allyship and bias and prejudice on a spectrum for people and, and like label actions and behaviors as opposed to individuals too. And so even somebody who thinks they're an ally doesn't mean they're like unbiased all the time and that they're always the good guy too. And I think you can take those actions to help counter people that are behaving badly, but like that doesn't give you a free pass or not uh, cause you to be critical of yourself too. And I think in the same way, when you're delivering some of that feedback for people, you know, you have to do that in a way that's not like crucifying them or saying that they're a bad person, but like respecting them and like hopefully encouraging them to act better and just like talk about their behavior and helping like get them to a, a more positive place too. So I think it's important to like, focus on behavior and actions a lot of times and not like put halos or or devil horns on on individuals too. And just to comment on that is a lot of times it is unconscious, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be in a negative call out way, but if someone is made aware of it and then can realize like, oh, maybe in that meeting that was said, the group had to be like, oh, wow, you're right. This person is delivering and I was going on this. So like, 100%. It's not to be negative or put a negative spotlight on someone, but it's to really just have the conversation and, and say something and then have that aha moment that maybe in the future something will change because we all have unconscious bias. We all do. And it comes out in different ways, but because the tech industry is so underrepresented in general, it's just really important to be conscious of our actions and how we evaluate, how we interact. And like team dynamics is where I see it come into play the most, just obviously being in the corporate side and serving our technologists. So super, super right on. Agree. So I'd like to add something, you know, first of all, you're thinking about, right, the other 50%. You have to make it personal, resonate it. I don't think it's very hard to do that because, again, 50% representation now women. So, you know, if he, they might have a daughter, I mean, they have sisters, they have wife, right? 
So in many situations, I think whether it's conscious or unconscious bias, when you put that into a personal situation, if it were your daughter, if it was your wife, how would you like to, you know, see that differently? Right? Would you support? How would you support? Sometimes I have to give a benefit of doubt and they don't know how. So make them almost like no excuse. So there's another piece. I actually talk about this in my emotional intelligence class, and there's an influence, right? Thinking about most of the situation that we're facing today is it's not because you have power, you have authority. You have to be able to have the ability to influence others. And there's three circles of influence in my class. The first one is if you are trying to influence somebody, what are some other resources you can leverage, you utilize besides yourself? So don't corner yourself. So the first one is really what I can do, you know? For example, I know Tyler, right? I can't talk to him. But what if that in some situation that a Tyler just don't listen to me? Well, but I know Anushka. Anushka is a good friend of Tyler. Yeah, Anushka will talk to him. But that's what we call the indirect influence. Somebody that really trusts, right? Has that trust relationship. So for that person to say something to him about me is much better than I try to go against, you know? And then the third circle is really about this environment. So it's go much deeper in terms of the company culture, the top-down that we just talked about initiative. So if you're able to speak a language and utilize the large circle of the environment in general, it will be much easier because you almost ride the trend. Whatever the company is trying to achieve, uh, that's, that's the best case scenario. But you always have to thinking about what can I do, what others can I do. Am I doing something that within this environment, can I find a way that environment would almost automatically support that? Therefore, you kind of remove your obstacles, you know, along the way. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's very important to speak up, I guess, when you see something, say something. But on the other side of that, Tyler, do you ever feel like you're overstepping or, you know, it's not your place? How you handle situations like that and how do you like balance between speaking up versus overstepping yeah i think it really kind of depends on like i take a very like pragmatic approach to it what's going to produce the best outcome and so to make that decision you have to know a lot about like the relationships between the people in the room and whether like your how your comments going to be received and just be really smart about how you deliver the uh, feedback I think in general, this is true. This is sort of like management 101 too, but like delivering delivering critical feedback to people is best done as soon as possible afterwards. So like as close to contemporaneous as possible is good. But oftentimes like uh, in a private setting where they don't, they don't feel like they're being overly attacked, whether or not they like deserve that privacy or not is kind of a separate thing, but just like it produces better outcomes sometimes if it's delivered that way. And so I think if you're in a trusting environment, speaking up like right away optimizes the contemporaneous part and then like is okay in the environment. But sometimes if people feel too much publicly criticized, that can be counterproductive as well if it's too like public of an environment for people too. So sometimes you want to give up on the contemporaneous part a little bit to have a better, a more receptive environment for them to hear that feedback. So you just kind of have to be like sensitive to how people are going to receive the feedback in the environment they're in. Going on the more systematic company side, I guess, Kimbra, you have experience with this. What would your advice be to companies that don't already have an established female allyship program? How would you, I guess, advise them to start one and what would that look like? Yeah, so I think really every company is different, right? So 
when you look at what a company values and what they declare publicly versus what they actually do and the actions they take, that kind of, for me at least, dictated how I chose my career path and where I was going next. So aligning with the values of whatever company you're with is super important. And so if that inclusive culture and if diversity matters to you, and we all know the data shows that more diverse teams produce more innovative products and really help the bottom line for a business. So it's a business case, no matter what. And if you're building diverse teams, then you have to have this sense of belonging and inclusiveness. Therefore you have to have allyship. So there's this whole like kind of trickle down effect of you start up here and then it, you get to the nitty gritty and it's like, okay, well, what are you doing? So for us, it's like the company, you know, invests in pay equity and transparency of all the data in these trainings, like, inclusive conversations, leading inclusively in an initiative like Tech Women at Intuit, where we have a fully funded team dedicated to this. In our Tech Ally program, we have a Pride Ally program. And so all of our employee resource groups are in the process of creating allyship trainings as well so that it's visible. And we say this even with TWI, right? Like we are inclusive of all because we can't drive this initiative alone. We need active participants. We need our the entire company to make this a priority and drive towards the goal. And that requires allyship. So it really starts from the top down and it really, I think, depends on the leadership. And then with that comes the tools, the resources, the trainings and programs like allyship where you focus on what does it mean and how can we help you become active participants in these, I don't want to say, in these movements, I guess, right? So for Tech Women at Intuit, we had this goal, like we literally just reached 30% Tech Women globally as a company. I mean, we're over 10,000 people, right? We just acquired Credit Karma last year. We just acquired MailChimp like last month. So we're a huge, huge global company and to reach 30% Tech Women is a milestone. And so that takes active allyship across the entire company, all stakeholders, all leaders and functional groups have to be aligned for this goal. So all that to say, I did not answer your question. My answer is it takes a village and like full alignment to get there and drive to that. And if you're not there, it's easy to start small with conversations like this, right? It's having the conversations, raising the visibility of the need for diversity or for supporting and making certain industries more equitable, right? So that folks want to be part of them and want to join these industries that maybe were predominantly male dominated before, but everything's kind of changing and, and going towards the right direction. But that's a long-winded answer to say it really depends on the company and what the mission is as a whole. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It makes sense that it's like a top, it's got to be a top-down approach and kind of be embedded into the company culture. So I guess, Helen, with your various experiences in various different companies, have you noticed certain companies with more of a gender gap or like less allyship culture? And what differences kind of have you noticed? I actually think the company I have worked for are doing a very good job, you know, in terms of promoting that. I actually think maybe the, the gender gap that I observed in tech is maybe not only limited to tech, but is more obvious when you are going to a higher ranking. So the more senior level that you look at, you look around, there's 
less woman representation there. And so what does that mean, right? And I answer this personally myself. When you're at a certain level, you want to get promotion further, and you have to get you know, support from the people more senior than you. And more senior than you, they're all men. So this become more and more critical, kind of you have to find a way to break through that. Because otherwise, it's almost, that's another way to thinking about a glass ceiling. Because you don't really have women allies beyond a certain level. And which I actually think this is very common across many companies and the tech industry for sure, but not only women. One thing that I was thinking about the question earlier, you know, what men can do, I, I actually thinking, you know, at the top down level for sure, right? If the leadership is emphasized that, that will make a huge difference. But at individual level, what you could also do is, for example, mentorship. So if you have a, a willingness from a senior engineering leader who is willing to mentor a female engineering, you'll get a lot more success. Because then, you know, because the, the gap is, if you don't breach that gap, the gap becomes larger. So once you breach that gap, especially even at the personal level, you have one mentorship going on, one senior leader mentoring a few, right, junior, then that gap is going to become smaller. And the senior level is going to see more of what's the problem. Because in, in their mind, they probably don't know what exactly the problem is. Because they, were, they couldn't put themselves into your shoes. And we all in those situations. Like it's not that I can put myself into anybody's shoes. But create that environment for them. And that's exactly what the feedback was from our technologists when I first joined into it and did this role. It was, I feel like I need a mentor or a champion in order to progress my career. And so literally I created the program. So we're now four years in and we have the first structured Tech Women at Intuit mentorship program globally across the company now, literally in support of that because the need was there for champions and guidance internally. And so we've had, we're gonna be on our third cohort now. We had 215 pairs last cohort. So we're, and that's like, all levels. And so we have a mentor right there. Few few years around. <laughs> but yeah, so it's an internal program specifically to support that because that need and that glass ceiling, like you said, the mid-career level drop-off is I feel like 70%. And you have to see it to be it. And if you're not seeing those senior leadership roles, you're leaving, you're going, you, you know, you get career changes, people leaving tech to transfer, transfer into a different type of role, people just leaving in general. And so we really like want to retain and advance. And so mentorship and sponsorship, when we're talking about allyship, sponsorship is probably the most effective in terms of creating those opportunities and seeking out and finding high visibility work or high impact work where someone can really changed the trajectory of their career. And so that's just as important. But yeah, those are two significant ways to really demonstrate allyship. And That makes sense. And then that makes what Tyler said about his 30% of his companies being women-led. That's more exciting, right? Do you want to talk a little bit yeah, I mean, the, there's all the structural things are, are super helpful in managing culture, but just like representation of hire more people, promote more of them, like have the leadership be more more diverse. There's really no substitute for that. That starts to like trickle down into, into everything. And so like, 
you got to make, you got to make progress on that. Like for me, because I tend to work with earlier stage companies that, and oftentimes that are going through kind of like hyper growth too, and hopefully will be big companies of the future too. I get excited because I think you can have some of the biggest impact, like seeking out those growing organizations, because there's often like whole new business units being created or leadership teams like doubling in size and expanding. And so there's really, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of get in there and grab the leadership positions as opposed to like trying to chip away and climb up a ladder of a very well-established structured company. You know, it's like how often is leadership changing, turning over at some of those larger companies? It's very infrequent, but if you get like a high growth company, like a startup that's, you know, post like, you know, series B ish or something that are adding and growing a leadership team, you can really get in there and win leadership positions. But I think you can like ride that journey with the company as it, as it hopefully like gets bigger and replaces some of the dinosaurs over time too. That's, that's very exciting. So I just want to pause for a sec and see if we have any questions from the audience to any of our speakers or all of our speakers. And then I can just, I guess, repeat your question for you. What are some specific cues that males can watch out for to help in allyship? I'm trying to put this in action, like not talking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you see that? There we go. That was a perfect example. But that is very, very true. So, so like Tyler mentioned earlier, the listening part. So if you're in a conversation, you're having a meeting and you realize someone hasn't spoken or contributed, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to, but giving the space and opportunity, right? Saying, does anyone else have anything to contribute? Or Helen, I didn't hear you speak. Did we miss anything? So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of introduction when there's conversation too. And so it could be repeating something someone else said. And we get that a lot too in teams where we have maybe a female technologist say like, I just said that idea and it wasn't acknowledged yet. My male counterpart just repeated it and everyone was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. So like acknowledging those little things and like you cutting in and saying like, oh, Kimber just said that. Like those little cues so it has to do with interjection, repeating, asking if there's anything else to contribute. When we talk about rotating the housework, if there's a note taker every class, right? If you guys are in class, it's making sure every person participates in that, right? It's not the same person every time. It doesn't mean, oh my gosh, I can't ask Kimber to take notes. It's like, did she take them last time? Okay. Then Tyler, can you take notes today? Whatever it is, it's being conscious. And a lot of times when you're working in fast-paced environments, it's very, it's all about speed and productivity. And so part of the challenge with a lot of companies is being like, no, actually slow down, take a step back and make sure that you're creating this environment where people feel comfortable contributing, that I feel comfortable saying, actually, I took notes last time, it's Helen's turn this time, whatever it is. So it's, just, it's being very conscious and that can be really hard to do because when you have something to say or you have an idea, you want to say it, but you have to have that empathy to be slower and be more conscious. And so for me, that's the main thing. And that's a lot of what I see in when we talk about like team dynamics and groups. And it's, it's those little interjections, those little cutting others off. And that's what I see at least. The idea claiming is like a very real one. That's like, I'm sure everyone feels on a yeah. <laughs> regular basis. Yeah. That's like, that one's really painful. Nothing like 
too much to add to that, honestly. One of the other like cultural things is I think the whole treatment of what are generally considered gendered skills around like soft skills and not labeling them soft skills anymore and like acknowledging that they're things that everyone everyone should have or something is is like a, is a big is a big thing too. Really, really like appreciating how different levels of being empathetic and observational and like emotionally sensitive too is just just a skill, not a soft skill, and is like helpful to the business and everything you're doing as well. I think it is great and not to like talk about that as like a, a second class skill or to, to think about it as something that some people like should or naturally have or don't or something. I think that's those skills are very distributed unevenly across different like many different like genders yeah. and something that we all should should aspire to. So so I think I think just like talking about those and treating them differently is, is, a, is a big deal, too. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? Huh? I, I actually think, you know, in many scenarios that I was in, not only just me, but I feel like there's people talking over other people, right? The cutting off issue. I mean, I think that's one of the cue that I see so often. That before you can finish a sentence, somebody took it over, right? And the second time, you know, before you finish half of your sentence, someone had talked over. So I think everybody can do something in that situation. You know, if you were the one being cut off, you should just kind of say, this is my cue. I, need, I have my two minutes. Let me finish. And if you see someone keep doing that, maybe you should also stand up. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female, but in that situation, it's like, I want to hear from Anushka. Can we just have her finish it? So I feel like on both sides, you know, whether you are being the one being cut off, the, the third party could have do a lot to help in that situation. And that's powerful. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. And then I think you bring that awareness and perspective. That a person that actually actively cut off other people, he might not be aware or she might not be aware. So I feel like those are the little things you could do that make huge difference because communication, if you're not allowed to communicate, what else can you do? Like how would other people understand you and your voice will be ignored completely? I'm going to do the bad thing as a joke one more time too, but also like trying to talk last all the time is like really annoying too. We're like, excellent point, Helen. Let me resummarize that for the group or something. You just don't need to. You can just like let it go. But I'm, I'm just, I'm doing it. Honestly. I appreciate it's a joke. the support. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great point. I agree because I always feel like I notice it when two people like start talking at the same time and usually it's like the woman who backs off and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry, continue. But I saw some more questions on this side. How can allyship be rewarded, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. essentially. Would you like to go first, Helen? <laughs> I struggle with that question. I think that's excellent. You know, if we forget about this topic of allyship, we're just thinking about if kids, you know, behave certain way. If we have to reward that kid for everything he or she do, I think I felt as a parent, in a way, it's like reward could only go so far. So we really have to looking at the fundamental that how do we motivate? How do we make more of a automatically versus like you force them, you push yeah. them, you challenge them, you award them. I feel like you know we have to balance that. Badge, the process is already like certificate badge. I mean, that, I think that's fantastic. It's like generally the awareness that you cannot ignore. It's out there, right? That it's top that initiative. But I think beyond that is really that I think you have to reach to the personal level. That if there's a particular person that you're really interested to, to build a, a professional relationship, oftentimes that turns into allyship if it's successful. I really thinking that sometimes it's just thinking about how can, if I want to make a friend with him, what does that mean? What can I do? You know, like, because friendship, the allyship has a, a big component of friendship. 
But we don't think about friendship that way. You know, when we think about allyship, we feel like there's some exchange of value. Friendship sometimes is unconditional. So I would encourage you thinking about if it's really important for you, try to go make a friend first. Before you're thinking about that's my target for allyship. I think that's really, that feels more of a, like uh, something you're trying to achieve, but a, a lot more transactional versus a friendship that feels like a lot more strategic and a lot more sort of the long-term and equal in a way. And again, I'm going to emphasize the point about finding an inclusion and commonality between you and the, the other that you're trying to establish. And adding, adding on to that, when you talk about, I think Tyler mentioned privilege earlier, it's being very self-aware, right? I think everything we're mentioning is about being self-aware and really just being a good person, right? It's not, it's recognizing your own privilege and using it to benefit someone else. That is allyship. We all have privilege in one way or another. We all have very diverse backgrounds. Sometimes we might not know each other's backgrounds, right? But you kind of know what you're good at and you know what your privilege is if you have it. And so just being aware of it and using it is allyship, right? And so there might not have to be a structured program or badge, but it's about, you know, finding that commonality, which Helen also mentioned, but just realizing that your actions affect those around you no matter what, and just being conscious of that and hopefully using it in a positive way. That's just something I wanted to add. I have something to add. So I'm a big fan of play strength. So really, you know, the self-awareness part of it is so fundamental. It's got to know yourself really well, you know, understand what are your strengths profile, what are your top strengths. And I, I love what the, my strengths coach told me, you know, is the best way actually to make you like really, really strong is not, knowing, not only knowing your strengths, also knowing that what you don't have, who can provide that? Collectively, that becomes really strong. So everybody has different strengths. So if you wanted to particularly do something, but you're not good at that, finding the person who is really good at that. And then, you know, give them that um, task. is almost a mission to help you to be successful. I think most people, if you approach that way, I hardly can see anyone to say no to you. You know, because I recognize your strengths and you're really good at this. You know, could you help me do that? I think that's the beginning point is whoever you reach out, they also need recognition in terms of who am I? Do you know me? You know, and then if you actually did that research and proactively identified something that they, you know, Tyler has that I don't have, for example, and then they being recognized, I think they will be more motivated to help you. And that's natural mentorship. One other like really specific thing that's kind of with a with like a management lens, I think, is how people do performance reviews too. I think that's like presumably that's a thing that you guys study also too, or look at case studies up, hopefully. But I think you can totally incorporate allyship into performance reviews to some degree. And sometimes it's hard to do like very directly, but I think a bad performance review is usually just like a manager critiquing uh, an employee's work, but a good performance review usually incorporates like collecting 360 feedback from like peers and and, uh, and direct reports and managers to really just gather a lot of data to like summarize and present back to the, to the employee too. And I think some of the good questions like to ask when you're collecting feedback like that is sort of what has this person helped you accomplish in your job? And like, what have you, you know, done together? How have they supported you in your, in your role? 
And like when you're getting that feedback, you start to see patterns and like really notice when like people are doing well or, 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 or you're getting like good feedback where you're like, oh, these people are supporting each other. These people are building a relationship. And if you're not seeing that, you can really like work on it. Sometimes it's an individual problem. Sometimes it's like a team structural problem. But I think you need to like incorporate the performance of your team into like your information gathering and root cause analysis and corrective action around that stuff and just like build that into the operational workings of how you're managing uh, performance reviews. I think it's a big, it's a big thing. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap up so we can do one more question. These kind of situations I think can be really uncomfortable in the office setting. It's nice to talk about it here, but sometimes in action it can be hard. So maybe this question is for you, conversants, you might have more experience with that, but how would you do that maybe in not so, such a direct way, but still like timely enough to get that connection that he was talking about, kind of like how do you bring that up in a softer manner, but still get the yeah. So, so the example I gave was a specific example from one of my colleagues and his experience in a live performance review. And it wasn't with the person in the room, right? It's a group of assessors discussing this person, whether they're ready for promotion. And he in that space felt comfortable and confident calling it out because there were enough comments where he was like, that's not right. You wouldn't be saying this. And it was very much based on characteristics that had nothing to do with the work and what this person actually delivered, right? So it can definitely be super hard live in person. And that's why I think a lot of people like take Tyler's approach of like connecting with someone afterwards. So if you're live in the moment and you don't feel comfortable, it can be a follow-up Slack, a follow-up email, a ping saying like, hey, and expressing concern, or a lot of people feel more comfortable going to your manager versus not. But it is really important where if you feel comfortable and it's not, if you don't feel like fearful of retaliation or whatever, that you say something in the moment, it doesn't have to be a huge declaration. Like that's not right. It could be something as small as like asking a question. Oh, well, why would you say that? Oh, well, I thought this person actually demonstrated this capability. Like, where do you see it not like measuring up? So it can be very inquisitive questions that still call out the situation, but it doesn't have to be in a negative, like you're wrong. Like you're only saying that because he's a man. It can be very much like inquisitive. I think it depends on the team. It depends on who you're talking to, right? And like, you know, your audience and that's why the comfort level kind of dictates that that situation. So I've heard of the spectrum of things going well, not someone feeling uncomfortable, you know, like it is uncomfortable. I, I mean, I've been in that situation where I didn't call something out and this is my job, right? I'm like, uh, like I was running a book club and we were talking about something and this guy made a joke and some of the female technologists like afterwards were like, hey, that was like not cool. Like, I wish you would have said something. And I was like, oh yeah, I need to learn how to better like interject. So like, we've all gone through it. And after that happened, I sat down and was like, okay, I could have said this next time I will. So, and it's like that person got called out and like he was uncomfortable, but it was like, hey, like you have to know your audience and you could be joking, but you don't know how someone else is going to take it. And intent is very different than impact, right? So there's, I don't have an answer. Like you'll get, you'll get the whole gamut, but there are little techniques and interjections that you can try and start with whatever you feel comfortable with. If you don't feel comfortable saying something in the moment, make sure you privately message someone or ask someone advice on how to deal with that situation. Because if you don't say something, it will keep happening and someone else might be feeling the exact same, right? Yeah. 
yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, Helen, Kimbra. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Oceanside Chat. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you liked it, please share this podcast and stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you later.